Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek, and it is day number 46 of the One Year Bible Podcast. Um, so glad you're listening to us today. We're going to look at today the last two chapters of Exodus, chapter 39 and 40, and we start a new book in the New Testament, the Gospel According to Mark, which is where we'll spend most of our time. Thanks for all your questions, comments, and I'm just so, so excited to see people from all over reading the one-year Bible plan. People even at, at many different churches, so it's great. So spread the word. It's not too late. Yeah, it is, whatever, February 15th, 16th, but it's not too late to, to start. It's never too late. So um, anyway, let's jump right in. The one thing I want to point out in Exodus 39 is the, the tabernacle is ready. The people have built the whole tabernacle, the ark, the altars, the lampstands, the tapestries, everything is ready, except the priest's clothes. So they still need the priestly clothes, and they make them. They Just as was commanded by Moses earlier in this book when Moses was on the mountain, now the people make it. And three times in this, in the last, the tail, tail end of chapter 39, it says that they did it. The people had done it as the Lord commanded, so they had done it. And then Moses blessed them. Interesting how they said they would do everything that God commanded, and yet we know that they instantly didn't do it. Yet God is a forgiving God and had given them another chance. He, he reaffirmed the covenant that he would make with them. It's still a conditional covenant, but he really does want them to be his people. He really does want them to live as his people. He wants to bring the Messiah who will come from this people, who will be the ultimate priest uh, and prophet and king, it it had to come through this people, this people who were descended from Abraham, the seed of Abraham who would bless all the nations. So we see them doing it. They they do trust God and they come through. Remember how they gave way more than was even needed. The people building the tabernacle like, okay, enough. Tell the people to stop. We have too much gold. <laughs> we have too much silver. That's a good problem to have. Oh, that we might have that problem. All right, well, in chapter 40, I just want to point out, it's been almost a year since they left Egypt. It says, they, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, the, the inner tent that's surrounded by the courtyard. And remember, the Passover was on, I think, the 15th day of the first month. So it's been almost a year since they got up and left Egypt. And it did take them a while to build this tabernacle, all the the intricacies of it. So anyway, I want to, one thing that I want to point out is that what happens to Aaron, how he is um, consecrated and made a priest, it is very similar to what happens to us as Christians. Let me read it. It says, this is chapter 40, verse 9, you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. So it starts with the, the stuff. It shall be anointed with this anointing oil. And that this act of, of prayer and dedication, God makes it holy. This word anointing oil is the same word we get for Messiah. The Messiah will be the anointed one, meaning he'll be consecrated or set apart. He will be made holy. And here, what happens to the tabernacle, what happened to the Christ happens to us. The priest, it says this, Verse 12, then you shall bring Aaron 
and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. And then the same would happen with their sons, with his sons. And this is what happens at Christian baptism. Initially, this is how Christians were baptized. They would be washed with water. That's what baptism means, a washing, a holy washing. And we know it's not just a washing with water. Uh, it's a washing with water according to the word. Uh, Ephesians 5.26 says that it is Jesus himself who washes us with water according to his word, the water of, of the word. And then it says that he shall put on air in the holy garments. Originally, the Christians would be stripped naked and they would be baptized uh, on Easter vigil. And this, is, of course, is not the very first days of the church, but in the, the first centuries. And they would be uh, separated males and females, and then they would be baptized. They would be immersed. They would come up from the water and they would be giving, uh, given robes to cover them, white robes. And then they would be, just as it says here of, of Aaron, you shall anoint him and consecrate him. Oil would be poured on their heads. And that, and then hands would be placed on them and they would be prayed upon. They would, you know, the bishop, uh, the, the pastor would pray for the people. The same things that happens to Aaron here, to make him a priest and his son's priests, uh, that, that's what happens with us as Christians. We are uh, brought in to be made priests. Well, you may not feel like a priest, but you are one if you're a Christian. Um, let me read what Peter tells us. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, and see if these words sound familiar. They hearken from Exodus 19, where the people said, we'll do it, we'll do it, but they didn't do it. Uh, but this was God's desire for his people then. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just as the Israelites were called out of Egypt, we are called out of darkness to become in Jesus his chosen race, his royal priests, a whole nation of priests, a holy nation a people for his own possession, God's own people. What we see here, uh, they made, they put the whole tabernacle together, they anointed everything, and then as the book of Exodus ends, it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter it, and then it says the glory filled the whole tabernacle. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. And interesting how that the glory cloud, the cloud and the fire, would lead the people. When it uh, picked up, it was a sign of it's time to move. God said, I won't go up with you. I will send, I will send my messenger with you. Um, and so is this God himself? Is this his messenger? And the answer is yes. Uh, we know that that messenger is Jesus. So with that, we flip over to a brand new book. Uh, we'll look at Leviticus tomorrow, which is seems heavy and weighty. Uh, the whole reason for Leviticus is why or how God in his glory can dwell with his people. Well, we see the glory of God, Jesus Christ himself, coming uh, to his people. That's where we pick up with the Gospel of Mark. Now, 
if you are reading through the Bible the first time and you get to the end of Matthew and, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead, he uh, commissions his disciples to be witnesses, to make disciples and baptize and to teach. And then, then what? Then you read Mark and you're like, wait, is this the next chapter? No, it's, it's the same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because sin, optic, same uh, view. In many ways, they have the same view. They use much of the same chronology, although Mark doesn't tell us that he's writing chrono- chronologically. Luke does. Uh, but Mark, uh, Mark has a different perspective than Matthew and than Luke. But the same gospel, the same good news, Mark likely, tradition tells us that Mark was uh, with Peter in the city of Rome. And as Peter was preaching and teaching and making disciples there, Mark then recorded the stories that that Peter had told. So in many ways, this is Peter's gospel. And we see Peter come up many times, and most often it's not in a very good light. It's It shows the foolhardiness of Peter, the uh, the weakness of Peter, but also shows the grace of Jesus. So this is a beautiful book. You'll see some distinctives here. Because it's written to a church that is being persecuted, that element of Jesus' teaching is highlighted here in the Gospel of Mark. Also, the whole idea of what do we do with this story as we live among people who don't want to hear it? How do we live among people who think that Caesar is Lord when Jesus is Lord, as we know from this story? So this whole Gospel is is written, I think, to help us mount up courage, to act like men, act like women, to be strong in the Lord in the face of persecution, knowing that that what what is right now, the powers that be, they are just shadows of of reality. And the real power is Jesus Christ. Even though he in some ways seems like he's not here with us, he is he is so with us by his spirit. So as we read this gospel, we know we know what's going on. Um, well, let me, let's just jump into it. Let me explain. It starts like this. And you might have read past this right away. But this is important. The very first verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't stop there. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as you know, Christ is not his name. Jesus is his name, which means uh, Yahweh is salvation. His title is Christ, anointed one. Just like Aaron was anointed as the priest, the high priest of God's people. And in the Old Testament, prophets would be anointed and kings would be anointed to be recognized as leaders and set apart. Uh, Check out Psalm 2. It it talks about uh, God's king anointed and ruling and, and, and so on. Anyway, so we know from the beginning that Jesus is the Christ and also the Son of God. We know it from the very first verse as hearers, as, as readers. Okay, this is the good news of this Jesus, this one who is the Christ and the Son of God. This is no normal man. He is more than a man. So as we read in this story, the other people in this story, the other people in this gospel, they don't know. We see that all the way along. They have an idea He does things that no one else can do. But the question keeps hanging in the air. Who is this? Uh, We'll see at the end of chapter 4. Who is this who uh, calms the sea uh, and makes the waters still? Who is this 
who does these miracles. And then we'll see it when we get to chapter 8. Peter realizes, who is this? This is, this is the, the Christ. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, yes, you have, it's been revealed to you. But Peter and the other disciples don't know what kind of Christ he is. Is he uh, a messianic destroyer of Rome and, and other nations against us? Is he a great king to elevate Israel to its status uh, above all the other nations? is more than that. We'll find that out as we go. But we just keep in mind, we already know. And we'll get to the very end of the gospel, the very last verse of the gospel. And it's left hanging to us. What do we do with this now? All right, well, anyway, let's jump in. It starts out like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And you may have noted in your NIV or other study Bibles that this is a quote from more than just Isaiah. It says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That might sound familiar if you've been in church. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 is an awesome chapter. It's the great turn in the book of Isaiah. It starts with, comfort, comfort my people. And it goes on from there to spell out the comfort that God will bring to his troubled people. And it has this part that we see in verse 3. Um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. But earlier, this quote that that Mark has is, it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. This is actually not from Isaiah. This is, well, it's really from two places. It's very clearly from Malachi chapter 3, which talks about Elijah coming, uh, this this prophet who will come again before the great day of the Lord. But it also, it doesn't fit exactly with Malachi. It also fits pretty well with Exodus 23 verse 1, which you may or may not remember that, but that's where, where God said that I will send my messenger before you and the, an angel or messenger, same thing, to go before you. And he you will listen to him and he will forgive your iniquities. So it's no ordinary messenger. So this is sort of a, a conflagration with uh, these three texts. And it would be normal for uh, the most prominent one of these to be uh, the one to say, it, as, as Isaiah wrote. Anyway, the point is this, that this is written about Jesus and then about the one who would uh, prepare the way for Jesus. So the the messenger before your face, I believe, is is Jesus the Christ. And then it says that there will be one who will prepare his way, and that is John the Baptist. And we see John the Baptist. What does he do? He comes as a crazy prophet. He comes to baptize in the wilderness, and he proclaims a baptism of, re of re repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as a Christian, if you've been in church, this might not sound all that unusual. But to a Jew, this is crazy. They already have a means of forgiveness, which is the temple, the sacrifices in the temple that God set up. Yet, as we see, if you were at our Ash Wednesday service, you may have heard from the prophet Joel chapter 2. They were going through the motions. They were doing the right things outwardly, but their hearts were far from God. And so... Uh, John the Baptist is doing a new thing to prepare this coming Christ. Uh, people need to repent and to be washed of their sins. And this is a sign 
that will lead to what Christian baptism is, a, a washing of sins. And one thing that is not given in, in John's baptism is the Holy Spirit. But he says, one will come after me, one who is mightier than I. I can't even untie his straps. I can't stoop down and, and do this, this work of a slave. But this one will come. He says, I've baptized you with water, but this one will come, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is harkens back to some things in Ezekiel where it says, I will wash you with clean water. I will put my spirit within you. I think that's Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. See if you can find it. All right, well, so Jesus is baptized. Uh, he says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And Mark's account of this, like many of the accounts, are very brief, but he does add some different details than Matthew. Matthew talks about the dialogue between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and, you, and I, I should baptize you. And Jesus says, yes, to fulfill all righteousness. Here, we don't see any of that, but we do see this. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open uh, that word in Greek is is skits, like schizophrenia. It, it's ripped. And it harkens back to a prayer in Isaiah, and I need to find this, but it says, um, Oh God, oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh that you would rip the heavens and come down. Isaiah is praying this in for his people who who are in a place of need. And that is exactly what, what happens here. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is ripped, the heavens are ripped open, and that prayer is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills Jesus. And at the same time, we see the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So the voice of the Father here, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this mystery of the Trinity. And this, you are my beloved son, harkens back, you can look at this. We already read Genesis chapter 22. Remember it says there that... Um, that that uh, Abraham took his son Isaac up the mountain. His son, God said, take your son, your beloved son, whom you love. Take him and sacrifice him. Now that was a test to show what God would ultimately do. His own beloved son would be sacrificed, the sacrificed. And in that case, the God provided a ram uh, instead of Isaac here. Um, the ram is Jesus, the one who would be sacrificed. Anyway, also Psalm 2, which I referenced before. Read that. Um, it says, uh, today I have begotten you. In, in a sense, I have christened you this day. I have made you the Christ on this day, the one who will fulfill all the roles of the prophets, the priests, and the kings. You are the one. You are this victorious one. And then what happens to this victorious one who is christened, who is, who is uh, called the Christ, well, it says this, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. This is the same word, if you were to say, uh, threw up or vomited. That's the same word here. The Spirit immediately drove him out, threw him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Again, some different details than we saw in Matthew and very brief, what is it, two verses, whereas Matthew gives half a chapter, Matthew chapter 4. But we see here how 
as we'll read about Israel in the wilderness, how they fail time and time again. Here, Jesus is in the wilderness, and he succeeds. Jesus becomes, in it, we could say, he becomes Israel. And where Israel fails, he succeeds. He is the one uh, who will make us uh, a holy nation, uh, as, as we read before. All right, we see a lot of other things. I won't go into it, but uh, just to... To contemplate here, the, there's the calling of the, the first disciples, and then Jesus goes into Capernaum. Uh, this, as you read Matthew 4, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. He goes there to bring light, and notice he, Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he teaches, he teaches as one with authority, not as the scribes. He is an amazing teacher, and he has power, and there is a, a man with an unclean spirit at church, I know it's synagogue, but church just means gathering. Synagogue also means gathering. It's the place where people gathered around God's word to hear it and to sing and pray. And so this man is there. Now, you might ask, how can a man with a demon or here as described an unclean spirit be in church or be in the synagogue? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's there uh, as, a, as an imposter. or Maybe he's there because he knows he needs the word. And the only thing that will drive out his unclean spirit is God and his powerful word. We don't know, but Jesus does not let the man speak. The, the, the unclean spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, be silent. He will not let demons speak even what is true about him. They will not be considered a witness, even if what they say is true. So Jesus doesn't allow him to speak, cast him out, and the people are like, whoa, Whoa, what is this? A new teaching and authority and a man who has power over unclean spirits. They've only just begun to see who Jesus is, that he is an amazing teacher and that he has power over the spiritual realm. Well, we'll stop there today um, and keep contemplating this great good news that comes to us in Jesus. All right, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.